Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. I'm going to get into some scripture reading. We have a whole chunk of Proverbs that Simon has tonight. Um, I won't actually be reading the what, where those are from, so if you're curious to know where all the Proverbs are from, maybe ask Simon and he can send those through to you, or I guess I could too. Um, yeah, and then a passage from John. All right. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the manner separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many claim to have unfeeling love, but a faithful person who can find. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in, an un- in a time of trouble, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so no person sharpens another, so one person sharpens another, sorry. Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. And now our reading will be from John 15, 9 to 17. If you'd like to turn there or get there with your phone, I'll give you a sec. So John chapter 15, 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Well, good evening, everyone. Um, If I haven't met you, as Maggie said, I'm Simon, uh, lead pastor here at City Light North Adelaide. It's really nice to see you all tonight. Um, 
it's gone cold, hasn't it? Like, even colder than, like, last week. Um, I was saying to someone just before the service, uh, usually if I'm preaching in the morning, I was preaching down at Anchor Church this morning, um, I get up early, I throw on my thongs and maybe a jumper, and I head out to the shed. That's where I practice my sermons. That's where I go through what I'm about to say. And man, it was freezing this morning. Um, I usually take, this sounds dreadful as well, I take a cup of instant coffee out with me, and I usually get about three sips into that, and then I sort of forget about it. And usually by the time I get back to it, you probably wouldn't believe this, that it's still warm. It sometimes is still warm. Um, this morning, it was not warm at all. It was like, like iced coffee. Anyway, that's nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Um, tonight, we're thinking about friendship. We need to talk about friendship. If you were here uh, last week um, or even the previous weeks, we've been thinking together about um, subjects that we have, have you know, come up in our culture that we want to think about. How does the gospel, how does the good news of Jesus Christ shape how we think about this particular issue. Last week, we thought about um, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, helps us understand mental health um, and how do we care for people we know and love with mental health? How do we, um, as a church, look out for people in our midst and beyond who have uh, mental health issues? Um, three things I shared last week were that um, the good news of Jesus Christ offers three key things to those who are wrestling with mental health. One is reality. Um, so people who struggle with mental health, there's a, a deep darkness and anguish that comes with that. And the good news of Jesus is that, um, and the Bible and the living God is that he, he allows us to articulate that anguish to him and to cry out to him and not to sweep that under the carpet, but to face it and uh, to present it to him who, can, who actually can do something about it. Um, secondly, we thought as well that um, the gospel offers real hope to those with mental health. Uh, we live in a world today where uh, there is uh, wonderful advances in medicine, medication, psychological support for those who are struggling with mental health, and we should thank God for those things. But even beyond that, the gospel offers to each one of us who we're all broken in various ways, physically, mentally, um, it offers hope to us, a story that um, explains why we are broken but also gives hope to us as well that one day that brokenness will no longer exist. We'll be right with him and with God forever. And the third thing that the gospel offers is community, um, a network of relationships where people can be supported through whatever they're going through. And that's one thing the church that Jesus has created through his death and resurrection offers to us. And sort of flowing on from that, that's why I think it would be good for us tonight to think about friendship um, and, and loneliness in some ways. But what is, the, what is the good news? What does the Bible teach us about friendship? Um, I hope that'll be a build on what we did last week. Um, I'm going to pray, ask God to help us. So would you pray with me as we come before his word tonight? Uh, Father, we, we come here tonight thankful that you have given us the breath in our lungs and uh, you've caused our hearts to beat to this point and uh, we thank you that we're here. And Father, can sit under your word, the words of your Proverbs, uh, the words of John 15. Uh, Father, we just thank you that you are a kind and gracious God who doesn't stay far off but has come into our world in the person of your Son and spoken to us definitively in him. We thank you that we have your word open before us tonight and we can think upon it. Lord, please, we pray that as we open your word, we pray, Father, that by your Spirit we would see Jesus. We pray that by your Spirit, Father, we would hear Jesus. And Father, we pray that by your Spirit, we would love Jesus. And so we ask that you would do those things tonight, Father, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, you would have noticed in that reading from John 15 that Jesus makes this amazing offer. You are my friends. And to many of us, right, you'll, you'll hear those words that Maggie read and you'll hear them again and you'll go, yeah, sure, sounds totally reasonable. You know, of course Jesus wants to be my friend. I'm a really nice bloke. I'm a really nice woman. Of course he wants to be my friend. Um, but his words perhaps lose their f- impact, I think, because we, perhaps we haven't really considered what friendship is. Um, C.S. Lewis notes, um, lovers are always talking about their loves, but friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. And yet the role friendship plays in our lives requires attention. Um, just because friendship is intuitive, it sort of seems natural, doesn't mean that we do it well. At least I'm here tonight putting my hand up and say, I don't think I do friendship very well. And I've learned a lot this week on what friendship looks like. Uh, there are so many factors, right, that, that um, make kind of friendship complex in our day and age. We're a highly mobile society. Who here's moved house in the last 12 months? You know, moved house? Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's true. Like, I'm told a fifth of Australians move house every single year. I reckon we're about on, on money. There we are. So you like North Adelaide, we're killing it. Um, Add to that, right, all the disconnected spheres of life that we have. So the people you know, you know and hang out with at work probably also don't really know your friends and your family and your relatives, and they probably also don't know the people that you, you run with or the people you knit with, I don't know. And so like, we're stretched thinner and thinner in relationships and have perhaps more relationships but of less substance all over the place. Um, social media, right, um, for all of its wonderful attributes, it creates the possibility of a vast array and numerous number of friendships. So I'm told 2.5 billion active users of Facebook in the world, spending 1,500 billion minutes on Facebook every month with, on average, 130 friends. Um, 130 people are a lot of people to call friends, right? Incredible. At the same time, we have many social commentators and researchers telling us that we are in the midst of an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, So Anne Hollands from Relationships Australia suggested that loneliness is what depression was about one or two decades ago. Loneliness is an unspoken pain. And it's simply, all of this, right, it's simply not helped by our kind of casual approach to friendship. Um, Philosophers like Plato, Aristotle and Cicero, they wrote a lot about friendship. And they had this really highly sophisticated way of thinking about friendship. You know how we've got this really, at least I do, a really low bar of friendship? They had this massively high bar of friendship. You know, who actually makes the cut as a friend? We're heaps more casual. We kind of slide into friendships, we slide out of friendships. Um, you know, unlike marriage, right, there is no official start date to a friendship often, it just kind of happens. So I want to ask you tonight, who are your good friends? Who are your good friends? Um, as, you, as you think about that, in your mind, who are your good friends? You don't have to yell them out. Um, who are your good friends? Name them. On the flip side, who are you good friends to? And I wonder if they are the same people. As you run through those names, perhaps think about exactly what Jesus is offering to us when he offers friendship to you and to me. You can be my friend. So tonight we're looking at what the Bible teaches about friendship. And I hope we're going to see and learn about like maybe two things. Two things hopefully will happen tonight. I hope that we'll be better friends. 
Maybe I'll even be a better friend after I preach this sermon, to, maybe to, just to myself tonight, better at friendship. That would be a great outcome. But even more, I hope that you know, following this time together tonight, uh, we can see just how gracious Jesus is when he offers flawed people like you and me the privilege of being his friends. So three points tonight, if you're a note taker or if you like sort of, you know, how all these things work out. Three points, here they are. We're going to think about three points on friendship. Realism in friendship, uh, the qualities of friendship, and the resources for friendship. So realism, qualities, and resources. Are you ready? That sounds great. Yeah, ready. Realism in friendship. Um, Realism in friendship, let's go. Um, Don't be surprised, says the Bible, if who you spend your time with affects you. We know that, right? So before I moved to Sydney, uh, and I spent 13 years in Sydney, before I went to Sydney in 2002, I used to say the word dance, right? 13 years later, I've come back to Adelaide and I say dance, yeah? We're influenced by those whom we spend time with. So Proverbs 13 verse 20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Or chapter 22 verse 24, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate uh, with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, of course, like we have to be realistic about this, right? You know, sometimes we have limited choices of who we can hang out with. So if you, you know, work with hot-tempered people, you know, you kind of can't get away from them, right? You know, you work in a workplace, maybe you're in law, where apparently it's just terrible, right? It's just demand, 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 and it's angry all the time. You kind of can't get away from that. But Proverbs says, they'll have an impact on you. Don't be naive. Make sure you seek out friends who are different to them. Avoid spending your leisure time with angry people. Don't be naive. It will have an impact. Of course, positive as well as negative. Um, One of the things I've been a pastor for many years now, and one of the privileges I have is to take weddings of people that I get to know, Um, know, celebrate their wedding and go to their weddings, and then I get to hear all the often pretty average speeches, although you should have gone to Richard and Eloise's wedding recently. They were all like, amazing. But anyway, one particular wedding I went to, there was this like standout line that came from the best man speaking about his groom, like the groom, right? Not his groom, the groom. Um, He had this one sentence, listen to this. He said to the groom, thank you for having me as your best man today, but thank you that your friendship has made me a better man over the years. Isn't that brilliant? It's wonderful, isn't it? Like a beautiful soundbite. You could tweet that, right? You know, but that this guy could stand up and say from his heart that knowing you, being your friend, has made me a better person. And friends can do that. Don't be naive, right? If your friends are obsessed with money, there's a good chance you're going to kind of grow to be obsessed with money a bit as well. If your friends are always feeling kind of anxious and, and fretting about raising kids, then probably you're going to sort of start fretting and being anxious about raising kids as well. If you have friends who love Christ and are constantly working out how to love and serve him, to count the cost of what it means to follow him, then probably you will as well. Friendships will impact you. So Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's the sort of comment you'd say to a child, right? I'm not sure that you should hang out with little Jimmy. I don't think he's going to be that good for you, and you sort of push him away. Or, oh, wow, 
Beatrice, she's beautiful. You should hang out with her all the time. You know, like, we say that to the kids. But do ask yourselves those same questions about your relationships. What impact are the people I'm spending time with having on me? Another part of realism is the number of friends you can actually have. Um, So Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now let me be clear. I don't think there is anything inherently wrong with having lots of acquaintances. It's a nice thing to know lots and lots of people, isn't it? Um, But this text makes the point that when tough times comes, they'll not be there for you. It's not because your acquaintances are, you know, kind of unloving or uncaring. It's just they don't know you well enough. So you can have a situation in our church, right, where, you know, after a while you might think, hey, I haven't seen Mary for a really long time. You know, like, anyone seen Mary? And everyone's like, no, I've never seen Mary. The next month you find out that, that Mary's had a severe accident, for example, but no one knew her well enough for the information to get through. Acquaintances just don't have that same depth of knowledge about who you are as a friend will have. We need to be realistic about that. Uh, there is a great danger, isn't there, of course, of, and we all know this with social media, where we can have hundreds, or maybe even thousands of friends whom you're connected with for a, via social media challenges, people who occasionally like your photo and you occasionally like their photo, but who cares, really? You can have thousands of friends but no friends, like no real friends. And some of us need, I think, to get out of cyberspace and kind of spend more time face-to-face. Because actually that's how real relationships grow. The book of Proverbs, right, that the message of the scriptures here would say that quality is always better than quantity. That's the key. Um, I get, you know, I'm a pastor and I go to kind of pastor catch-up thingos from some time, from time to time. Mostly I find them a little bit painful, to be honest. But anyway, one day I got chatting to one pastor and we started talking about this stuff, right? Friends, um, who he hangs out with, how regular that is. We were having a drink and, uh, after dinner and this, this guy was in his late 40s and he said, I've spent the last 20 years bringing up a family, leading my local church, and I don't think I have any friends. And it's easy to get into that place, isn't it, I think, because there are no deadlines for friendships. At work, right, there are deadlines all the time for stuff at work. You've got to get something completed. But with friendship, there's no deadlines. Friends mostly aren't as demanding as family members, and so it's easy to kind of bump friendship to kind of like the last thing on the, on the list, you know, the bottom of the to-do list. I'll get to the friends when I have time. But the reality is we never have time. You never get around to it. And so we can ultimately never have any friends of depth. Friendship's really important. Uh, C.S. Lewis observed this in his book, The Four Loves. Friendship has no intrinsic survival value, but it's one of the things that gives value to survival. Isn't that a really beautiful observation? Friendship in itself has no survival value, but it does give value to survival. In that sense, friendships like, I don't know, art, philosophy, or music, man, it just makes life worth living. It's beautiful. So let's just be realistic about how many friends we can have. We'll get back to that in a little while. You know, you need to invest, work at friendships. Okay, that's realism 
of friendship. Secondly, uh, qualities then, uh, qualities for friendship. I'm just going to look at four qualities. Um, these come from Derek Kidner's commentary on the Proverbs. I'm just really expanding on his great insights. Uh, four things, constancy, candor, counsel, tact. If you can come up with another C, tell me at dinner and I'll shout you a coffee during the week or something like that. Like, um, or just tell Derek Kidner. I don't know. Constancy first. Um, here is Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, slightly unclear grammatically in the original language um, whether this should read a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity, or if it should read a friend loves at all times but a brother is born for a time of adversity. Don't really think it matters very much. I think the NIV is okay. But you can see the truth here. Adversity comes, you get sick, physically unwell, mentally unwell, you go to hospital, your family rally around you, they're there. Blood's good at that, right? Blood will gather around you in adversity. But your friends, they'll be there as well. But in the normal scheme of living, right, I think our friends take on a different role to our family. There are things we can share with our friends that we sometimes can't share with our families, particularly in times of adversity. I think that's his point. Or chapter 20, uh, verse 6, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Loyal friends are rare. If you find a loyal friend, can I encourage you tonight, do not let them go. Don't let them go. The fool um, sees friends as like a stepping stone to the next thing, to help them sort of get ahead in life, for example. But if you find a loyal friend, hold on to them. Because there aren't a huge number of friends like that who'll come along for you in a lifetime. And there's this great example in the Bible, actually, of this friendship between David and Jonathan. Um, David, right? It's such an unlikely friendship, right? David's like a shepherd boy, you know, sort of from a hick town, you know, like a bit of a nobody. But friends, Jonathan, the king, right? Like royalty. And they had this remarkable relationship. Listen to what uh, David said. This is 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. And then following Jonathan's death, this is what David says. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Now, David knew lots of people, right? He would have had lots of Facebook friends, no doubt. Um, and he also had lots of wives, but there was something special about Jonathan. This is, there's nothing sexual in this relationship. But their friendship was so deep. Upon Jonathan's death, actually, Jonathan's son, who had um, an impairment, a disability, David kind of embraced him as his own, cared for him. Such was their relationship. Even Jesus, right, had a particular disciple whom we know as the one Jesus loved. Biblical friendship offers a bond that goes beyond the compulsory love of family. You find a loyal friend, you hold on to them. It's the same, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Um, Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. Do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbour nearby than a relative far away. Hold on to your constant friends. Um, Of course, by contrast, you get Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Ouch. It's 
pretty intense, right? It hurts. I'm sure we experience, you know, fair weather friends who kind of will ultimately cause you pain. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Very painful. Adversity, right, often reveals who your friends really are. You know, the scriptures, right, they would say that ultimately, um, you know, friendships often begin organically. That's normal. That's natural. You know, you find someone you have in common, you know, a sense of humor, a shared hobby, I don't know, stamp collecting. Yep, you know, Lily's into stamp collecting, uh, craft, knitting, you know, etc. And you come together and you chat about it. And you're like, it's, C.S. Lewis, I haven't got this on the, on the screen, but in his book, The Four Loves, it's not a remarkably beautiful quote, but he just goes, you know, those moments where you just come alongside someone and you're chatting about someone and you, you, you learn something about them, you go, you too? You, I, I thought I was the only one in the world who kind of felt that or knew that. It's like when you meet like a Port Power fan, you know, and you go, wow, someone else in the world. Sorry, Richard. You know, you know, wow. But they, friendship's going to start organically. You have a shared thing in common and then that grows. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing more awkward, is there, than someone who comes up to you and says, I don't know you, but will you be my friend? That works when you're three, okay? Probably not when you're 28 or 40. I don't know, you know, it's just a bit awkward. Um, so friendships begin, they have this organic sense, but they need more than that cultivating as they go forward. They need constancy that ex- finds its expression in serving alongside each other, serving one another, caring for each other. So constancy is the first quality of friendship. Second is candor. And so Proverbs 27, verse 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Instinctively, right, you read that and you go, oh, no, 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 this is how it should read. Wounds from an enemy hurt, but a friend, they multiply kisses. It's not like that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, an enemy multiplies kisses. Good friends will tell us honestly in those moments when that thing needs to be said to you to help you. And I reckon, you know, as we think about this proverb, that moment when a a friend might wound us, I reckon we could all stand up the front and grab the mic and tell a story of when a friend kind of grabbed us around the shoulder and took us for a walk and just sort of stabbed us in the side, you know, like for our own good, yeah? Um, I caught up with a friend recently um, and when I, catch up, when I caught up with him um, on the phone, he re- reminded me of a conversation I had with him about 15 years ago, which I've never forgotten. Um, he's about 10 years older than me. Um, when we caught up this time, he, we sat down together um, and he said, Simon, do you mind if I say something to you? You know that tone that people have? I was like, oh, no. Maybe, yep, yes. You know, like it was, oh, it was awful. He said, Simon, you become a Christian a little while ago. You know, you, you have a huge zeal for Jesus. You, you love Jesus. You want everyone to know Jesus. You want his name to be lifted high. You care deeply for the truth. You care deeply for the gospel, Simon. Never lose that. If you would just combine that with a love for people, then you'd be useful instead of obnoxious. Ouch. He said it with a big beaming grin on his face, by the way. I've never forgotten that. We've almost never talked since, no. Um, He sort of said, go away, have a think about that. Hurt, big time. But it was true. 
I, need, I really needed to hear that. And good friends will make that effort, right? They'll, they'll tell you it like it is for your own good. Tim Keller, in his book Generous Justice, says this, Like a surgeon, friends cut you in order to heal you. Whereas your enemies will just kind of flutter you, let you get away with stuff. So Proverbs 29, verse 5, those who flutter their neighbours are spreading nets for their feet. But your good friends will make sure that you walk on safe paths. That's what good friends do. Now, a little tangent here. Um, I don't wish to caricature, um, but when it comes to candour, I think men and women do this kind of stuff a little bit differently. You know, not to stereotype, not to, you know, caricature, but I think we do it differently. That's okay. I think largely women will kind of sit down and do this kind of candour kind of um, intensely maybe, you know, over a cup of tea, I don't know, something like that. You know, like that, that'll be, it'll be more like that. Blokes, maybe less so, maybe more like coming up the back behind you and giving you a clip behind the ear and saying, stop being a jerk, you know, like, get on with it. Don't do that again. I think that's what's happened. I think that's just, men and women are going to do these things. That's okay. It's, you don't always have to have intense conversations to kind of do candour. So constancy, candour, now counsel. Um, it's sort of similar but different. Um, so Proverbs uh, 27, 9. Um, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Yes. Advice from a good friend. I reckon it's a bit like, you know, walking out into a beautiful field of flowers where you get the aroma of the flowers. I think it's a little bit like going down to the bakery, 24 Bakery on O'Connell Street, when the, the pies have just come out of the oven, you know, or the pastries are on there, and there's just this beautiful aroma of, you know, fresh meat pies and donuts that are just, they're still sizzling from the oil, and there's coffee, you know, there's this beautiful aroma. It's delicious. Advice from a friend is like that. It's delicious, the counsel of a good friend. Yet at the same time, 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Probably this is one of the most popular and familiar proverbs of all the proverbs, right? It's good to have good friends who sharpen you up, you know. But it's just worth thinking about this for a minute, right? Um, the image of that proverb is from the blacksmith's shop, right? You know, how does a blacksmith sharpen iron? Like smashing the stuff. It's men with biceps, you know, bigger than watermelons, right? Just like thumping the iron in order to reshape and sharpen the edge so that the person is, you know, more effective and, and useful in the world. And that's a good friend also. It's a good friend. And you'll need both at different times, I reckon. You'll need a friend who will encourage you with warm, wise words when you're a bit flat, a bit down. And then you need the, the, the friend who'll also come alongside you and who'll kind of, you know, beat you up when you're a bit prideful and need humbling. You don't want a friend who just does one and not the other. Just to push this a little deeper, Proverbs 27.9 again, um, the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Um, heartfelt advice there could also be kind of earnest counsel, but it literally means counsel of the soul. Why is this friend so pleasant? Because he or she has listened hard to you. He or she has made sure they understand you. He or she has thought deeply about what you've said and then has counseled you from their soul. In summary, they've put their whole being, their whole energy into helping you. 
You know, oh, you've had a bad week, never mind, the sun will come up again tomorrow. That's not helpful. When you're understood, they'll know whether to apply the, you know, the anvil or the, the warm words of encouragement. It's earnest from the soul. We don't want wounds from self-appointed critics who just want to put their opinion onto us. We want meaningful, thoughtful, listening friends. It's reminded me of um, a quote from Bonhoeffer's great book. Many people have read this, Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Wonderful book. Um, And in this, you find this wonderful quote from Bonhoeffer. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's words to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. Isn't that wonderful? You know, sometimes as Christians, right, you're just a bit low, you're a bit flat. And what Bonhoeffer is saying, that the Christ in your own heart is weaker than the Christ that can be spoken to you. Sometimes you need others just to to come alongside you and say to you, God remains your Father who loves you. Jesus remains the Son who died for you. The Holy Spirit remains the Counselor who dwells within you. The living God will hold on to you. You need need some some people at that time. And at times, you know, those things that you know are true, you just need a Christian to remind you the Christ in your own heart is weaker than the Christ of the word of your friend. You want friends who will do both. He'll rebuke you, he'll comfort you. You want friends, you want spiritual friends, I reckon, who are eager to help you and together one another serve, love, and grow deeper and deeper into a knowledge of the God who loves you. You want good friends. Fourthly, briefly, you want friends with tact. You want friends with tact. It's pretty intuitive, I'd say. Uh, Chapter 25, verse 20. uh, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is the one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Again, there's just no attempt here to understand what someone really needs, and you end up sort of inflicting pain on them rather than a balm for their soul. Or similarly... Um, If anyone loudly blesses their neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. I mentioned before how I sometimes go on these like pastor thingos. You know, I went on a pastor conference once and we all got these individual rooms in a hotel and um, I was staying in one room and there were pastors everywhere. It was kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I went to sleep. I was really tired. And then at 5.30 the pastor dude next to me started singing. 5.30 a.m., hymns, like badly. It was a curse, or like not a joy. Like, you know, I'm sure the Lord thought it was sweet and lovely, but I thought it was just terrible. Be tactful, that's what I'm saying. Be tactful when you say things and when you don't say things. Uh, Proverbs 17, 9 says, Use discretion. Whoever would foster love covers over an offence. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's just a warning. Good friendships will take years and years and years to build and to cultivate, and they can be destroyed in just one conversation. It's interesting how you 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 can see people who just develop this beautiful friendship, really good friends, and something has been said, often about children, often about raising children or another family member. Bam. It's kind of over. What a waste. You have a choice according to that proverb, you know, to gossip, 
to cause offence or to forgive. And we want to be people who forgive. You know, now, forgiveness, right? That essentially raises another point entirely. That's another sermon probably for another day. But you've got to forgive. You know, if you're a Christian here tonight and you've come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his radical forgiveness for your, your rejection of him, you've got to forgive. You know, and tonight, right, you know, we've, just, we've been thinking about the, the biblical picture of friendship, you know, and how wonderful it is and how glorious it is and how deep it is and how good it is and how transformative it can be. And you go, wow, that's, that's what I want in a friend, the gold standard. You know, nothing else is going to be any good unless it's like that, you know, as good as what we've looked at tonight. So it's such a whole high standard. But here's the thing, right? Every friend you ever have will let you down. You know, don't be silly here. You have to learn to forgive in friendships. So four qualities of good friendship. Constancy, candour, counsel, and tact. And because good quality friendships require this sort of, these qualities, it means we need to work hard at our friendships. And I'm not certainly, I'm not certainly legislating anything here tonight. But it seems to me that you can only have, I don't know, like, depending on your personality, two to five really excellent friendships in a lifetime that sort of go for, I don't know, 40 to 50 years, maybe. Because to be a good friend requires a lot of work. And I was just thinking about this for us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, We're on the fringe of the city, um, we're, we're near the university and we have you know, numerous people here you know, at university studying degrees. And, and you, know, you can form good relationships with people, but, but you know, maybe after three, four, five years, that friendship is kind of over because the person's gone, I don't know, gone to another city, um, taken a job somewhere, gone back home. And you think, oh, that's, that's, that sucks. I've lost a friend. It was really good. You know, and there's email. Email's good. You know, there's Virgin, Qantas, Jetstar, whatever. You can go and fly and see them once a year. I don't know. But it's hard. And I just want to say tonight, the silly thing to do at that point is, is just to kind of shut down and say, you know, I, I can't go again. I can't give myself again to a friendship. And it's worth asking the question for some of us here tonight, maybe, and, and this might be a little painful, is the fact that you don't have the relationships you desire today because you're unwilling to pay the price. Because friendship requires work. Friendship requires vulnerability. It requires time, intentionality. You know, at times, asking for help, spending time with each other. Some of us, I see this, I don't, some of us won't pay the cost. But that's a reality. Like we, the nature of our church at the moment is that there's a transience to some of, some of our relationships. We've just got to be willing to go again. So lastly, friendship is hard. What are the resources that we need for friendship? Um, one big idea here. I think it helps enormously if you have the friend. If you have the friend. And, and here we turn to John chapter 15. Um, if you've got to open in front of you, but I'll, I'll read it to you. 
Um, if you have the friend, it makes all the difference as I think you seek to be a good friend. And so Jesus says, dive right into the middle of this. This is in the farewell discourse about before, just before Jesus is about to lay his life down for the sins of the world to bear the wrath of God upon himself. He says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. To have the friend, to have the friendship of Jesus Christ makes all the difference to us being good friends to one another and to people we haven't even bumped into yet. You might say to me tonight, yeah, but Jacko, I can't have a drink with Jesus. I can't go to the, the Archer for an IPA with him later just to kind of solidify things. I can't ring him up. You know, he never answers my emails. He doesn't hug me. He can't knit with me. He can't do crochet with me. He never likes my posts on Facebook. I mean, whatever your thing is, right? No, of course he can't do those things. It is different, but knowing him is transforming. He is the friend. Jesus is the friend who shows us constancy, candor, counsel. And of course, Jesus shows us cost. He shows us cost. He endures our inconsistency. He endures our dishonesty. He endures our flakiness. He endures our ingratitude, our grumbles. He comes and he covers over our offences, over all our sins and flaws and foibles with his death upon the cross. He pays the price of our broken friendship to bring us back into friendship with God. You know what the remarkable thing is? Jesus lost his friendship with the Father so we could be back with him. It's, it's, if you know him, it transforms our relationships. I mean, it, not only when we see Jesus on the cross is that the ultimate example of what forgiveness looks like, bearing our wrath, our indignation upon himself so that we could be free. But we see in Jesus one who shows us constancy and candor and counsel and truth with love perfectly blended together. Listen to these words from John Newton. Um, this is a hymn that he wrote in 1779, commenting on this reality. It says this. One there is above all others, well deserves the name of friend. His is love beyond a brother's, costly free and knows no end. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us though we treat him thus. Every day, right, Jesus puts up with our rejection of him, the small things that model our rejection of him, the bigger things. Our ingratitude, our disobedience, our inconstancy, our unwillingness to be in contact, he puts up with all of those things. The things we struggle to put up with, I don't know, with our friends for a day, he does. And knowing that does give you and I the resources to give ourselves to other people. You've lost a good friend. That hurts. It's hard. It's not going to be the same again. Can I go again? Yeah, when I dwell on what Christ has done for me, what he is doing for me now, when I dwell on the fact that he's gone again for me today, I can go again. I can give myself again. And one final thought. The, the wonderful resource of the gospel, the wonderful reality of the gospel is that 
in our church, there is this unique opportunity for unexpected friendships. Yeah? Beautiful, unexpected friendships. Yeah, because in the church, right, we, I mean, we've got this group before us. You look beautiful tonight, by the way. No, we've got this group in front, of, in front of us here, different ages, different stages, different hobbies, different political persuasions, but we share the most important passion together of seeking to faithfully follow Christ, to give glory to God and to bring joy to our city. Together, treasuring Jesus above all other things, inviting others in to treasure him as well. And we can have some remarkably unexpected relationships as a result of that, which glorify God. So as we finish, are you a good friend? Are you a good friend? And who are your good friends? Who's on the list? I want to say tonight, no matter how short your list is, I hope there is one name on that list. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, says Jesus, are my friends. And that makes all the difference. Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Father, for the, the wonder of friendship with you. Father, we just reflect um, upon... There's every reason, Father, as we've thought about your word tonight, for you to not be our friend. For we have failed to honour you, to respect you, to love you, to respond to your great love for us with love. We realise that we are only friends with you, Father, uh, because of your amazing love, your endless mercy. Uh, Father, we pray tonight, as we've thought about your word, we pray that you would make us better friends. Uh, Father, drawing upon the, the power of the gospel, the power of your spirit. So, Father, make us more like Jesus. Make us men and women who are constant, who are willing to speak with one another with truth and love. Father, who are willing to seek out one another and to um, speak into each other's lives. We pray particularly, Father, for those here tonight who are struggling, who feel weak. Father, we pray that those amongst us, our friends amongst us tonight, would know that you are the God who is their Father and loves them. We pray that they would know that Jesus is the Son who died for them. We pray that they would know that the Holy Spirit dwells in them and that you hang on to them. But Father, help us to be so connected to each other, each other as a community that we would know each other and be able to do that work of speaking the gospel into each other's lives. Father, I pray tonight for those who are lonely. Father, may you comfort them. Father, may we know them. And Father, we pray that they would be overwhelmed with your grace and love. And so, Father, make us better friends. Father, make us better friends for your glory, for our good, and for the joy of this city. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. 
For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.